Welcome to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy. The Mental Cast is a podcast focused on the topics and people helping drive us forward in leadership, learning, and our personal journeys. Just a reminder, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskDanMickle, A-S-K-D-A-N-M-I-C-K-L-E, or sending an email to info at danmickle.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Mental Cast. Welcome to the Mental Cast, Season Three, Episode Three, and I have Tracy Lamore with me, a PR guru who is based in the wonderful country of Canada. Hello, Tracy, and let's just start with you know what do you actually do? What's in the PR world? And and give us a background because I'm sure what I think of when I think of PR is not actually what's going on in the world. So right, that's why I do so much. Some of it's right, but that but that's only a what you're thinking is only a percentage. So yeah, absolutely, and you are not alone in that. I'll tell you. So yeah, my name is Tracy Lamori, and uh, yeah, I do. I'm I'm from Canada, and I work from Canadian Girl. We're in the last year and a bit. You know, in COVID, I have been on this side of the border, but normally I'm literally all over the world from the Mediterranean to the Caribbean. This is on work projects, you know, different projects for speaking engagements or with clients, speaking engagements or doing research or whatever it is um, to all over the all over stateside and all kinds of fun stuff. So, um, but what I do is, yeah, so when you think about PR, most people think of celebrities or politicians. And certainly I work with celebrities. I try to avoid politicians and partly because I don't like to be a spin doctor, you know, I don't, uh, you know, which means lie, basically. I don't have to frame things that aren't true in a way that are more palatable, which is what a lot of people think of when they think of PR. But I think the word PR, you know, needs some PR because the way I do it and what I think, you know, most people do now is I also work 50% or so with businesses, with entrepreneurs, with executives, with anybody really, you know, with authors who have a message, with public speakers, with inspirational speakers who tell their own story of, you know, recovery or of, you know, whatever they've been through and yet they managed to get through. So I basically, if you have a message to get to media, I help you get it to media. And so the way I look at it is I'm not, you know, working, I definitely don't work with people who need to be reframed because they've done something, you know, incorrect or something like that. What I do is I, I, this just came out in the in a podcast one day, but then I thought, wow, that's a great tagline. And now I repeat it all the time. But is elevate and celebrate, like shine a spotlight on the amazing things people are doing. So whether that's creatives, you know, the, I do work with musicians and filmmakers and actors and you know people are high profile people in the entertainment world, and you know rising stars in the entertainment world. And I also work with people who just, you know, hear about me, contact me and say, hey, you know, what is it that you can do for me? And in that world, you know, it's everybody from, I have a luxury real estate agent. I have a a woman who owns a forensics crime investigation, uh, crime scene company. I have um, a personal chef. I have a company that's um, getting all kinds of international press thanks to our work, but basically because they do amazing things, which is uh, uh, the challenging Airbnb 
for the international cannabis tourism space. So just literally across the board, I have an ex-police officer who recovered from um, addictions and now she's no longer a police officer, but she's an inspirational speaker. So literally right across the board, anybody and everybody, that means you listener, <laughs> um, has a story. And whether it's a professional story or you know, then you're helping to build your brand, um, and then I teach how it's kind of, it's not advertising, it's um, earned media, you know, so you're building your credibility by being interviewed in radio, TV, and those big newspapers and magazines you've heard of, a third-party credibility that really builds your thought leadership reputation. So, you know, that's a kind of a long version, but that's how to explain um, what I do and who I do it for to people who aren't familiar. And I think, you know, PR kind of, the word PR kind of brings people the wrong way sometimes, but it's shining a spotlight and elevating and celebrating the good work that experts of all kinds and creatives are doing around the world. So did you have, was there something in your upbringing or, you know, people around you when you were younger that kind of drove you towards this? Or was it just an aha moment and thought, wow, I'm good at this, let's do it. Well, that's a really interesting story. It was definitely not a planned career. I always wanted, if you'd asked me when I was young what I wanted to do, I would have said a writer. In like When I was really young, I thought writer, like writing fiction books. And then when I was older, I thought, like a bit older, like 12, I always wanted to be a journalist, you know, like a newspaper writer. And I thought I'd go to school for that. And funnily enough, PR, now I thought about it, it's actually pretty close. I'm writing the press releases that go to the journalists and then they decide if that's news and then if it is they you know tell you guys the rest of the world about it so i'm in that and journalists and and, and pr uh publicists traditionally there's two ways to become a publicist you either go to school for four years for university and then you know to decide you're going to be publicist go to school for your your four years and then come out and start doing training and you're a publicist or um you're a journalist and you start doing it and you understand it and it's kind of they're kind of cousins so you maybe you lose your job in journalism or you're not in journalism anymore you just think pr is more lucrative or whatever it is and you go back and forth but with me i had an interesting story so i was a young activist you know in my young days um anti-racist stuff and anti just you know whatever i thought was wrong and i would speak up against and uh it, it was the, in my early 20s and mid 20s my husband and myself dave parkinson and myself we're just in entry level sales, stuff like that. We probably would add a trajectory in life, just a maybe middle sales management, corporate trajectory kind of thing. But uh, parallel to that, we were also doing, you know, continuing our activist work. We had a radio show, which was in college radio at the time. A couple of years before that, it was no more, but we were still kind of in that information gathering sort of activist phase and um, dating myself, but it was the early days of the internet. So by the time we got our computer and we were all set up or whatever else was 97, 98. And in 1998, you know, you can make a web page on Netscape as easy as you can make a Facebook page now. And we were just making little pages you know, where we were linking to other people's stuff that we thought was important and kind of letting the world know here, oh, look, here's an article about this, you know, like a lot of people do. And in the search for interesting links and stuff, somehow we came upon something that we ne it was not a part of our world. We never would have, even in activist world, had never been something that we thought about. Um, we don't actually have the death penalty in Canada. And actually, it was a Pennsylvania case of a, um, a man who was saying he was innocent on death row, factually innocent on death row in Pennsylvania. And we thought, what? I'm, how innocent can this guy be? And this is back in 98. We're 28 years old. Anyway, long story short, I guess because we'd still been in that information gathering phase, being, you know, thinking of ourselves as journalists from the radio show. We thought, how innocent can this guy be? And we actually wrote asking for information. He wrote back, sending back all kinds of court documents, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, it was enough to make us go, wait a minute. Whoa, this is really disturbing. 
Now, what do we do that we now that we've <laughs> now that we've reached out to this person for information and he wrote back 18 pages and sent us all this court documentation and it is really convincing. Do we just say, oh, OK, was just wondering, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we thought, no, no, maybe we can. You know, we're just activists. We're young. We're, we certainly weren't publicists. We had no idea about anything to do with, you know, media like that other than having had a radio, a little college radio show one time, but nothing to do with reaching out to media or anything. Anyway, my husband, you know, said, well, let's just put it up online and other people, maybe some lawyers or somebody who knows more about this stuff than us will be as, you know, disturbed about it, can look into it more. And if this, you know, if they can help, they'll, they'll do something about it. That's what we can do. And then we can, you know, that's it. And so I, we, he did that. And I literally, and this is what I did, Dan, I learned how to write a press release on the Alta Vista. Remember Alta Vista? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I literally remember clearly in 1998 learning to write, okay, four immediate release, a few paragraphs, you know, contact. And I wrote a press release to tell the world, literally. Then I found, you know, it was, we had the internet, so we could go look at all the reporters' emails and all that and just research it. And I sent it right around the world. Ultimately, long story short, that was the beginning of what became a 20-year campaign. He he was and then he was freed from death row in 2017. Finally, on all you know evidence of, of actual innocence, and lawyers had gotten involved in the meantime, of course, because that you know it doesn't happen in the court of public opinion. It happens in the courtroom, and so long story short, over that 20 years, ultimately he was released in 2017. He's now a successful R&B artist. So, if anyone's interested in furthering that story, Google Jimmy Dennis. It's a you know way more than I can tell year but my part of the story there was that you know a couple of years before he was ultimately released but years and years into our successful what we look back on now and realize was a successful pro bono media campaign but we didn't think in those terms then we'd been on cnn on court tv on msnbc me and my husband 28 years old no media experience beyond a local radio show and certainly no legal experience and we were all over the world talking about this case and also the deeper issues of the justice system and, you know, all the things that are involved. So it took me 13 years, Dan, this crazy <laughs> part, to figure out, like from the time I wrote my first press release. I mean, while, you know, as for our living, activism was nice and all. It was something we did in the evening after we came home from our, our two full-time jobs. We didn't have kids in those days when we did it, settled that we weren't able to do as much on the activist side. But in those days when we came home, instead of watching the, you know, Netflix, we didn't have Netflix then, but instead of watching TV, we'd, you know, do this after our full-time job. But, you know, all that media attention we'd got, meanwhile, we were just still doing our entry, our mid-level marketing jobs, whatever. And it hit me when I was 41. So that's 13 years after writing my first press release. Wait a minute, skills I've developed in my other life. And this is where anybody can take a lesson from. It doesn't have to be something that dramatic. It could be a hobby or a passion or whatever. Skills I developed in my other life that I wasn't thinking about my nine to five because you're supposed to hate your nine to five, you know. Right. Um, I had I could actually use and maybe build a, 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 that time I was thinking freelance. I never was thinking build what is now an international award-winning corporate incorporate, you know, incorporated. But um at that time I was thinking, no, I could probably make a living out of the skills that I built doing that. Huh? Let me try. And I started just freelancing, convinced one or two people to hire me, got a couple of high profile clients, did amazing work for them. Then I'm convinced, wow, look at me, I'm in the game. And then I just, you know, there was no stopping me from there. I had five years where we were a general partnership. Uh, and then just recently in 2020, things have been going so well. I finally listened to my business consultant who would tell me for two years, I really need to incorporate because I had clients literally around the world. And, you know, here I am still acting like a freelancer. 
So uh, yeah, so now that's our story. So in 10 years, I went from freelancer to that. So, you know, the business story is when I had that aha moment, I, I went from freelancer to general partnership for five years to incorporating now. So that's over a period of 10 years from someone who had zero training and zero experience. Well, I shouldn't say zero experience because I had built that experience in my not-for-profit life, you know, without getting paid. But right. in, in terms of the business world or being able to say I have a degree or anything, I had nothing, I had no funding. I had just my internet connection and, you know, my thinking confidence myself, I guess. And from in nine years, built that to literally an international award-winning globally recognized business that, you know, I've done, a, you know, a ton of media appearances in the last year, over 180 podcasts, TV, radio, all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's still just me, you know, doing it's my husband as well, but me doing most of the work and now segueing that into educating people and, you know, almost being that motivational speaker about it. Because before people get up on stage, you know, I'm telling them, hey, you're an expert. You have to have the confidence to speak to media, right? Before you understand, so you understand yourself as an expert before you have the confidence to allow me to pitch you and say you're ready to go up in front of, of you know whoever and most people are they just don't think of themselves as experts but they are because that's why they're you know they're taking money for what they do they're confident in their work they're just they don't think of themselves as the ones that would be interviewed on tv about it and that's what i bring <laughs> so when i was doing the research for this episode the, the two things that popped up the most were the the jimmy dennis case and then mm -hmm. also the relationship that you have with your husband dave and, you know, it's, it's truly sounds like one of those just kind of match made in heavens. You're both activists. And I think the, the one story was like literally the first night talking for hours about, you know, <laughs> yeah. activism and, and such. Do you find like, was he, was he your hype man? Was he your PR guy? Like when you were going through this whole phase of, Hey, maybe I can do this. Was he kind of that person saying, yeah, you yeah, need to do this? Everything before, I mean, the company's called Lamore Media, but like everything up to that, and we've been married for 26 years, right? So the whole, you know, we were on the radio show together. We had, it wasn't his wingman. It was literally the two of us doing everything. We were on the radio show was his, and I came on the radio, his radio show. And then we were on entry-level jobs. One of them, we ended up unionizing an entry-level call center just because they weren't treating people well. We worked there. We were like, hey, let's figure out how to do this we had no union ties or nothing one of our friends did we figured it out we had them come in and made big news we're 26 then and then we weren't even it wasn't even a career thing we we're just like oh okay now we've done that <laughs> and then we started the canadian coalition against the death penalty oh uh, sorry then we got involved with the jimmy dennis case which inspired the canadian coalition against the death penalty which inspired the international got the international attention where there we were 28 years old on cnn and msnbc <laughs> court tv and primarily was him doing the tv in those days because i didn't have the confidence for TV, I would do radio and print. That didn't, you know, I was being all girly about being on TV. <laughs> oh, I don't like, you know, I'm too fat, you know. So he did all the TV. He did a lot of heavy lifting for a lot of those big names. So that was there was no just me and him on the side. We were like, that was both of us every day, every hour. And then it was only, but he was always working. You know, I was working in. Um, in those days, working from home for, you know, telesales jobs, entry level, and he was working out in the office for slightly above that, you know, in, in offices. So he was not here when I did the switch. I mean, he was here like every day, but I mean, he was working at the day at a day job when I made that had that aha moment where I was said, wait a minute, I, I could turn this into, you know, why, why am I doing another 20 calls an hour for a business I don't care about over there when I could be doing the using the skills I've utilized. So he was in, the, in an office job. 
when I made that segue to start doing in my day to day, you know, doing entry level PR stuff, you know, starting to write press releases, starting to learn the game, starting to go bigger and bigger until it actually, because again, I'm as good at, at that, but you know, he was always supporting me from the back end, just not there day to day until it got like suddenly, wow, so big that, you know, I would need to suddenly hire like two people to do what he could come and do. Right. What was that? I had to hire him. (laughs) Was that an easy conversation? Like, Hey, come, come work for me. Let's, let's do this. Um, you know, and I think the one magazine article, um, stated about how technically you're the boss, you know, you're the CEO, but it's certainly a partnership. So I'm sure it wasn't hard to get him to come work, but I mean, no, I mean does that scare been, you? Like, I mean, he was never on in the day-to-day. Like, he was never de- making client decisions or talking to clients or that kind of stuff. Right now, he's more involved with that, uh, uh, you know, as well. Though I'm more talking to clients, but he, I mean, he's some projects like music-based or entertainment-based he'll be in on, you know, from the get-go and dealing with the client like I am. But um, and his huge strength in, in, in professionally and also is, you know, mentally, the way he works too, is um, – is, is the numbers so he's really good at which i am like i i have no idea about back-end business and if i listen i'll tell you this much if i knew half as much about building a business as i did do about pr or a quarter of it you know then i would already i swear i'm not even exaggerating i'd be one of the biggest pr firms in canada in terms of you know not just impact internationally which is i'm right up there already but in terms of footprint here having you know employees and you know number of employees and that kind of thing but i haven't that that's all a mystery to me that I'm just still figuring out as you know, you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. we all have our, just like when I meet most entrepreneurs, 80, 90% of them literally, or at least 80% don't have a conception of how to get in the media or even aren't even thinking about that. They're thinking advertorial in terms of how to sell their product advertising, but that's exactly the opposite of the way you need to be thinking when you want to approach the newsroom. So editorial versus advertorial to me, this is stuff I know on the, you know, understand all the time, but and also just that that but these where these media opportunities are all that those things are complete mystery that other people are it's just they don't even think about when i see them and i'm like wow you know do you know how much opportunity you know there is for someone like you in media and you're just letting it go by their free opportunities and they don't see it just like they look at my you know the way i started my business and they're like oh my gosh you're like so good at what you do why the heck are you sitting there like a freelancer for five years working like that you know, why wouldn't you have done this and done that and have this and that? Again? Oh, oh, is that what you do? Oh, I'm saying, oh, okay. I didn't know. I just know how to. <laughs> right, right. So, so the last part of background before we kind of move into the, the business side and the journey is you're a parent of two, correct? Yeah, Did absolutely. How- Eight, one's 18 and one's 28 and is three months pregnant herself now. Oh, man. So, so how did that change you? Did, did that I know for me, when I had my, my kids, it kind of made me think about every decision I made a little bit harder because I'm now responsible yeah. for them. But, but did that change your, your business set? Did it drive you more or did it kind of yeah, make you a little bit more cautious? it changed a lot. Okay. So, and, and the way it happened. So my son was, you know, the younger one came into our lives first. Cause he, he, he I was, I had, you know, we had our son, um, in 2002, in 2003, sorry, July, 2003. So he's almost 18 now. And when he was four, his birth cousin from my husband's birth family came into our life and, you know, we ended up ado- adopting her. So she's the older one. 
we didn't meet till later. So when I say at first 2003, she wasn't there yet. It was first with my son. And at that time when he was born, it was five years into the Canadian coalition against the death penalty. And that, you know, again, we were fully, I think we both worked two jobs at the time or I had, yeah, we both had two jobs, one full-time, one part-time. Plus we came home and did CCADP the way everybody else would play video games or watch TV. So that was, you know, growing and growing and growing and having an amazing international impact to the point where we were in like 18 books, all kinds of stuff. Um, and that was a big primary thing about our life. But then when I got pregnant and we had our son, like every new parent discovers, you suddenly don't have all that kind of time. And that was our personal time that ended up going by the wayside a lot. You know, so we obviously had to keep on working and we had to keep on parenting. Anyway, we had a parent. That was our number one priority. So CCADP was pretty much dormant except for the web page, you know, still being up for a good couple of years. We weren't really doing speaking engagements. It was not, you know, we were pretty engaged in young parenting stuff. And that was pretty much it. Um, and then when our son was four, we moved from Toronto. We moved to a, a place called Chatham, a new place. We thought, oh, there's space here that we can have the CCDP archives. We can, you know, ramp it up and do some other stuff. That's where we ended up meeting, you know, Haley, who was 16 at the time. And she became our daughter, thankfully, which, you know, ended up completing our family. And that's the way it always was meant to be. And that, it's just hard to believe now that there was ever time you know, even 11 years, 12 years ago that she wasn't part of our life. So now that sounds odd. But so but by that time then, so I had a 16 year old and um, and uh, and a five year old. And that's how it's been since then, you know, been growing. and then um, slowly as you know, by the time my son was like 10, we started 10 so we started, you know, becoming a little bit more involved with ADP stuff again. And uh, that's about the time that also it hit me that, hey, you know, and I literally had that revelation as I was about to make another 20 calls for that business, that wait, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, I think I could do something else. And yeah, just literally like a light bulb. And it wasn't so much, that wasn't about the kids then, because I was still just working from home like I was before. But when that started to change, and I think the perspective that I used to have as a young activist, where, you know, I would almost look cross-eyed at people in business. Oh, business. Mm, yeah. You know, that there's a divide that we don't talk about sometimes where, and I mean, I was never a, a crazy lefty, whatever. You know, I was always lefty, I guess, in terms of all my, of my, one of the things, things I was concerned about, but not like a radical, you know what I'm saying? I was always a working person, two, two jobs, all that stuff. Right. So, um, um, but, the, but in terms of, you know, people with money, big business, people who are motivated, you know, to, to big, that would be like, it just wasn't my, I remember my father telling me at age 29, you know, if you spent as much time trying to build a business, which was just like strange language to me then, <laughs> I wasn't even considering it. He said, as you do with all your death row stuff, which was the case of Jimmy Dennis, he said, you would be millionaires by the time you're 30. And do you know what? Even at the time, the moment he said that at 28, 29, I thought, huh. He's absolutely right, because I, I realized the time that we spend and the skill that we had and all that. But I was like, oh, well, yeah, but whatever. And I'm glad because I think that, you know, I can't argue with the result of what happened in our 30s. And, uh, and now that I'm speaking about it, oddly, like it was I, I built my business for 10 years. I never, ever spoke about this, you know, other than here or there would come out. But then this people started interviewing me recently and more and more and more on podcasts. And whenever anybody asks me, you know, how did you get started in this? That's my origin story. 
it, you know, that's why I learned to write a press release. That's how I learned to write a press release. So, and then from there, you know, I, I just had a hot moment. I could just start it with, oh, well, you know, in, in not-for-profit volunteer work, I learned to write a press release. And then later on, I figured out that I could use it. But, you know, it, we're really heart-centered still. And we really are, we really, it really is a vital part of who we are here. It wasn't, a, it's not like a story, a brand story. It's not something we had planned to, I had planned to start telling. And for eight years, I was working successfully without anyone ever knowing. Now all this stuff's all over my Facebook and people are like, oh my God, I had no idea. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, but if you'd known me 10 years ago, that was mostly what you would have known about. So. So did you have that moment where you were just like, I need to stop doing this stuff for free? Like f for me, that was kind of what I ran into. I was doing, you know, all this mental training and work with, with teams and sports in my area. And I was really good at it. And I, I decided this is where I need to go and, and the space I want to be. And at some point I woke up like, I can't do it for free anymore. It, it's still my passion, but, but now I think I'm ready to make it a job. D Absolutely. More recently, not, that wasn't the, the point for that was not the point where I thought, Hey, I could utilize those skills that I was doing that, you know, advocacy work. I shouldn't be doing that for free because that I would never take money for the advocacy work. Right. But I, but I realized, wait a minute, that all that, what I learned to do, hold on, I could charge people for that. And then, but you but you're right. I have had that moment because I'm so activist and people centered and whatever. And cause I come from that, I also had a, lo a lot of transition. And when I was smaller, when I was building, I would take on smaller things, you know, people who didn't have the money to pay for it. And so I was forever either doing something for free, like, you know, they pay me for this. I'd still be working on things for them two years later or I'd, you know what I mean I'd still help them out here too much or you don't have money in it and then I had to realize no and my business consultant had to get really strict with me on that say to me and this is something you should think about whenever you think that kind of stuff a business consultant said to me no whenever you do that you're stealing from your family because you only have a limited number of time right and so everyone in the world will take from you and, and they don't think they're taking but they think they have, you have everything to give so they'll just keep on asking if you just she said you need to start acting like a you know, not like this is not a charity. You're not, you need to start acting like the the head, the, you know, like a, the, she said this to me before I was the managing director, we wouldn't incorporate it yet. But she said, you need to start acting like the head of a business that exists to make money for you and for its employees to make a living with. That's what they, that's why you're in business. You're not a not-for-profit. You didn't open a charity that exists to help people. You know what I mean? And then she said, right. you've got to realize, and she was saying to me, you know, I don't do, I work for 250 an hour. She was saying, you know, in, and she was, and I'm the accountant finance person. She said, you know, you get people in good housekeeping, you get them in entrepreneur, you get them in Forbes, you build their careers stop doing it for free and i had to realize that so not the part about like you know the advocacy work but you know put it in the fridge right and, and, it, and it's and it's tough know, right that i had to respect like but way more recently that was even years into my successful award-winning global business oh okay, you can't oh okay and i had to realize no no you have to set the you know, if people want the services, they'll save up for it. You can't be like, and I'm not saying, and, I, and my and my prices are reasonable for any entrepreneur or anybody doing anything can save up for it in a month. As it's not, I mean, I even have rates that aren't just your standard PR rates. Those can be out of, you know, range for a lot of startups or or like you know small solopreneurs and such. So, you know, there's ways to I, I set my prices so that it, it is accessible because I do come from that 
I don't want to be elitist where you have to be already at this point in order to afford me, right? So I make it, I make the ways to, to balance that out. But yeah, it's difficult. You have to, and I think price setting too is huge as an entrepreneur. You're afraid to lose that client. And so you're always like, oh, and you, we bend over backwards when half the time, if you add a zero, you'll get you know, more respect in a client who respects your time more. Right, right. You, you mentioned something earlier when we started talking about, you know, coaching someone up and saying, you know, you're the expert and, and go out here and talk about, it. do you battle that? Like when you were starting out, because not going the traditional route of going to college and having the degree, did you find yourself battling like imposter syndrome and saying, man, what am I doing here? Am, am I on the wrong stage? Is it a constant battle or are you kind of no, through that? It's funny. I think all my successes in life, split answer, have been because I've always just had the confidence to just be like, yeah, well, you know, things don't seem that hard for me, huh? Like I evaluate, I see things, I see if someone else can do it, then I can do it, you know. And I and that's how I teach that, and I teach that because I didn't learn that from a stage. I actually, you know, have learned that in my life and it works. But I have had moments where I'm like, <laughs> it's less the imposter syndrome, though I know what you're talking about because I do work with very you know, powerful and, you know, impressive women across industries of all, you know, fields who do battle that. And you wouldn't believe it when you see their crazy resumes, you know, better than mine. So I know it's like, it's a huge thing, but I remember, so with me, it's been less that, but more like, can you believe this? Oh my God. Like, it's almost like a disbelief, not that I shouldn't be there, but like, wow kind of like whoa it's that this is that possible this it's that accessible like you know i go to hollywood now i'm sitting at the table with wait what <laughs> talking to who or even the phone call i had the other day and the names you know i don't have to bring up names but like in a regular business conversation in a week if i think about the five or six names that come up of where someone's like things saying things like oh yeah yeah and on thursday i'll be talking to blank you know and then <laughs> i'll come back to you about it's really like what <laughs> you know, I have clients who I remember watching on television in Canada, like one of Steve Anthony's, one of Canada's biggest broadcasters. They don't know him in the States or they actually do for something. But here he's like 40 years on TV and all the biggest shows, you know, morning television, MTV, our version of much music, all of that. I mean, I literally grew up watching him on morning television and on much, you know, much music. And now he's my Thursday, every 10 o'clock Thursday meeting. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you know, the, the first time I had a professional athlete that I worked with, I was like, Oh my gosh, I actually get to do this for a living. And like, I talk to this person on a, on a very personal level and it, it still kind of hits me sometime, but it, it's more of a validation of, okay, I'm where I should be. Like yeah. I, I worked for it because this guy wouldn't be calling me if I didn't bring value to him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me break real quick, pay some bills with this quick advertisement. We'll come right back and we're going to talk about uh, PR and how it works and who needs it. And why we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Dan Mickle with Soul Performance Academy. Just dropping you a quick line to let you know that the 2019 Don't Sucks Performance Journal is now available to order online. Help take your game or craft to the next level with this great four-month journal. From goal setting to meditation, this journal is a must-have for anyone who's serious about getting to the next level, whether you're an athlete, a musician, or in the corporate world. Learn more and order online at 717soul.com slash DSPJ. That's 717soul.com slash DSPJ. And remember, don't suck. All right. Welcome back. And um, so let's talk about, you know, why does everyone need PR? Whether, you know, we, again, we, we, I think of PR as, you know, the Hollywood elite and the big companies or 
the emergency control because someone messed up and we have to fix things. But <laughs> but as someone starting out, the solopreneur or the small guy, why do you need PR as opposed to just kind of doing it on your own? Yeah, so it is huge in brand building. So for, and I mean, and personal, you know, you hear about thought leadership, this is the way to do it. And I'll give you one example, when you talk about the guy just starting out. And so I'd always thought about it as, you know, an alternative to, to advertising where you only way more powerful because that third party credibility when you're on TV, et cetera. Um, in terms of you know getting you know getting you get ahead of your competition, your competitor, um, bringing customers to you and exciting your current customers, making them share stuff, all that stuff. But one thing that's really been brought to my attention lately that I haven't been thinking about because again I'm not a you know back end finance kind of girl. But one of my clients after working with them for six weeks and they're a startup that was in the middle of uh, attracting pre seed funding and now they're in the middle of their seed funding, but they were just going the pre seed funding which was successful with half a million, um, which is what which past their goal um anyway they said what she said to me is after six weeks she said and we had about four articles and two media two interviews and she said you've changed my business and my life and i and they're startup with you know holding the dollar close to their chest still and i said well i get a lot of accolades but you know what do you mean by that and she said you've made investors take us more seriously and that was in the middle of their funding when you think about that that is everything because you know one person raising their eyebrow going huh because they read the 10 articles and now it's now it's 10 articles or something i did something last night you know and, and now now they've got articles when they started they had no idea what this would be like and what it would look like and what they'd get and last night i found that in our that a press book we did a week ago was put up in japan was in japan in a travel news in japan and this is for a travel you know an international like the travel story one international travelers to be aware of this initiative so um, yeah, hugely successful. And you can't, you know, you can't buy that. If you, if you try to calculate the cost, even just to buying all that, that space in advertising, you, it would be insurmountable. And then also it wouldn't have the same kind of value as, you know, business press talking about you as a startup and, or, you know, whatever it is that the media that we get for you is. And that's not stuff. We're not talking about stuff you can buy. We're talking about media, like, you know, I've gotten my clients in, you know, Reader's Digest, New York Times, The New Yorker, Oprah.com, which is the Oprah magazine. Um, I can't even go through, through, I mean, you know, literally a ton and tons and tons of mainstream media. And each of those, my client that I got in good housekeeping, she'd never had any media before, 26 years old, a life coach with nothing to differentiate her. She's amazing, but nothing on paper to differentiate her or a website from any other life coach. I got her in Good Housekeeping the day after she hired me and she ended up being in the print issue of Good Housekeeping magazine, you know, and their next issue came down the road. And we've literally built her career on that. And now all we have to say is as seen in this article on Good Housekeeping and every podcast on the topic wants her, newspapers have interviewed her, you know, it's, it's just, it builds and builds and builds. So that's why, and say you're not even an entrepreneur, what about the corporate track? Even then it matters because don't you think if an article about you is an entrepreneur magazine or authority magazine quoting you that you're more attractive as an employee that you're more likely to get the corner office or the raise or the hire or when you're you know so and also no matter what you're doing right now that built that thought leadership you know my job is to build you up as an expert in whatever you're doing and build your credibility so that that follows you with whatever you might do so now wh- or later wh- what's What's the first step or the first couple steps then to start this process? I mean, obviously, the easy way is picking up the phone and calling you and and, and getting that way. But if I'm starting to think about, okay, I, I need to get into some PR for myself, how should I prep myself or my business for that? Yeah, so um, 
just to get, to get your eye, an idea of what you're going to be talking about, so you could, we're going to be creating a pitch for you, or you can also try to create this yourself, right? And when you're thinking about pitch, again, it's not your resume. It's maybe a paragraph or two that talks about why you'd be a compelling guest. So it talks about why you're an expert, but also, you know, give media a couple of ideas about what kind of segment you could talk about. You know, like, for example, I don't just say, hey, international award-winning publicist. Dan would be like, okay, nice, whatever. But then I say things like, you know, I, I can teach anybody how to catch to the top of any industry using PR and media, which is one of the things I speak about. Or I can talk about, you know, building up your self-confidence so that you can build your brand, so that you can build up your empire, so that you can build up your community. It's another thing I speak about. You know, so you kind of give them ideas like that. Um, so think about yourself and what kind of messaging you could give. It's not all about press releases. It's something to know. Press releases is one thing where, you know, you're putting out a release and a lot of times you're probably doing it in ways you may be doing your own press releases but you're doing you think you're doing them and they don't work but there's a you may be 90 of the chance of, you know you look at an entrepreneur's release and it's going to be way too editorial or advertorial when it needs to be editorial you need to be thinking not about hey i want room in this paper like everybody's thinking but how can i make myself a valuable source for this editor this actual demographic and then there on the other side what i call the opposite of a press release is there's things like matchmaker and pod audit where you can um uh, you know, find podcasts that uh, that are looking for guests that you don't have to be famous. If you have a compelling story or if you fit what they're saying or you have a, you know, good angle on their topic, then it's quite likely you'll get interviewed. If you're not comfortable talking, you know, their medium, for example, online, people think that's like Huffington Post. It's not. It's more like Facebook. You can write up an article and blah, blah, blah. If it's a great article, you can just literally put it up in two minutes. If it's a great article and ends up getting some traction, they may even choose it. it hasn't happened to me yet, but it could for their front page. And then all of a sudden you get millions of hits on it. And it's actually, I think at that point you get paid a couple cents for every view or something like that. But the bigger thing is it develops your thought leadership. You can put, you know, an article thinking of talking about an issue in your industry, either for your industry or for people outside it. Every day as publicist, I see, and one example I always use is real estate agents is, you know, every single real estate agent has 15 ads and they're spending however much money on it. And yet, if you go and look at them, we all know 10 agents. And if you go look at this site, there's really nothing to differentiate one from the other, just like that, you know, um, life coach I was talking about and but in real estate they spend so much money on advertising meanwhile every time I see a real estate editor, I think oh man if that person only knew literally three times a day on services similar to that podcast and stuff but things like called Harrow and Source Bottle and stuff like that where um, reporters for mainstream magazines and newspapers and television are looking for quick sources when they're under deadline constantly they are looking for real estate agents every single day all aspects of interior design what sells this quick little answers that can that i've literally got my clients in reader's digest answering and so but but you know, and anybody can go and do those themselves but again you can also spend a lot of time on something like that and then also not get any results if you're if you're not clear on how to reach out the little things to read you know so again well, i always say if, if you have more money than time you know, spend, if you have a marketing budget, take a little bit aside from it and, and try me for a month or something or and, and see, or, you know, if you have a local publicist, but even if you only do that for a month, at the end of that time, you'd see how you framed, you'd understand the pitch, you'd start to see the difference, you know, between how you talk as a, a, a advertorial versus editorial. And, um, and, and you know, you know, so you'd have that pitch and you'd be able to pitch yourself a lot more successfully than you're doing now. You'd have a framework by the end of a month with me, 
also your um you know you you come away with articles you it will be definitely articles written about you at least one or two there'll be interviews because i don't take anybody on unless i know from the outset i can get them at least this this and this and then i still have three weeks to see what other magic you can make right so and i mean everybody doesn't matter whether you're what your expertise is authors you know business or personal stuff or you know people who are experts who or even just people inspirational stories people sharing a story of perseverance and triumph and they were always thinking they like to get on stages well i can you know get them on podcasts get them to tell their story get them quoted this is the kind of thing we do so you don't it, it could be your business it could be you it could be your book it could be you know it's literally just anybody who has a message and needs to break that media and we're you're never going to come to us then we're going to say go and buy this go buy that once you buy my time i'm finding you free unpaid media i don't send my clients to buy media that i mean if you are if you if you need my help with your advertising fine i could help you you know with your writing for your advertising but that's not but we're talking about finding you you know media you don't get paid for it and you don't pay for it it's opportunities to shine to build your brand to interest investors to you know to impress your customers to do all those things that marketing and advertising do time 10 that impresses everybody that i i feel like i may have just ruined the segue into your book of of uh, (laughs) getting rep like i feel like we just may have spilled our secrets but i'm I'm assuming that's kind of the path where the book goes right um, Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about the book? Uh, you know, what's about and where people can get it? Yeah. And I was asked to write the book by one of my very first clients that, that you know, came out when I was a freelancer. And before she had this company, she had a, a previous book called The 30% Solution about how civility in the workplace can increase, you know, basically client retention and um, um, employee retention and, you know, really have a dollar, dollar value. And we ended up making that a business bestseller on Amazon. That was 2015 or 2014 or something. And she asked me, then then after that, she decided to start her own publishing company. Um, And since then, she's gotten, you know, 40 other books on there, mostly soft skills, business, uh, business stuff. And she literally asked me to write the book on public relations. You know, she said, we because she has me doing her authors and her and all that stuff. So she's like, yeah, you got to write the book. So that was quite a few years ago. It took me a while to, you know, stop working so much on clients and start working on that, which I still struggle with. So I have to like, you know, put, put time in my week to do it. But I'm really glad it took me this long because actually 2020 taught me quite a few things too that I wanted to add, such as, you know, what, what a question of, it's going to be a chapter now that I'm working on to finish it all up on. So what happens if you've built your brand and then, you know, take care that you don't ruin all that work that you've done now that you've got a public image because, you know, don't bleed all over Facebook. You know what I mean? Basically your socials in many different ways. I saw people with mental health issues last year, just kind of go all out on Facebook and ruin, you know, reputations that they spent years developing, you know, cause they've spent years and now they've got media and politicians and everybody else on their page. And then they went completely, you know, just lost it. And I'm not even talking about losing it politically. I'm talking about just with the stresses of the year, with the, you know, people just start to just in whatever way. So, um, or or in anger or in political ways or whatever else, be careful once you all eyes are on you, realize now that all eyes are on you, what damage you can now do that you, you know, to what you've developed so, so diligently. So I added a chapter with that. And yeah, so it's called Get Rep, Build Your Brand with Effective Public and Media Relations. And it talks very much, it's not just a sales pitch for PR. It also has a very large component of the kind of thing we're talking about. What can you do yourself? What should you be doing yourself? What can you do yourself? What should you not do yourself? 
you know, what are some things to avoid and or do if you are doing it yourself? And also some of the questions you've asked, like what are, you know, what is a publicist? Why do I need one? And then I'm gonna have part at the back, or, you know, do you think you'd make a good publicist? Because maybe you're in marketing, maybe you come from, you know, some other communications business. And, you know, the, and when I like to unwrap this a little bit to you, because I don't think you need to have a four year career in school, you know, it's great, but I mean, I don't think you need to go to school for four years if this is your goal. I think you just need to start doing it. And, you know, you have to be a great writer, you have to be a great strategist, you have to be, you know, a lot of things. And, you know, just start, just do it. All you need to do is convince one or two people that you can, that you'll do them a good job. And then you make sure you rock that job. So let's wrap up with, the big question, what's next? Like I get the sense from you that, you know, you're constantly moving. There's always something. Um, I, I know I saw, I guess a lot of your business is also now turned towards the cannabis industry and, and things, you know, in, in that space. Actually, but now unusually that was going, going back 10 years, you know, up to like the the early days of the medical cannabis program in Canada and a lot of work around D I mean, I'm still doing about 20, you know, maybe 20, 30, maybe 20, percent now but it used to be more like 40 or 50 you know the early days leading up to legalization in canada coast to coast and um yeah and that was a lot of you know educating even the media and all kinds of the destigma i'd say the the destigmatization of, of the plant of cannabis local users of cannabis itself there was a lot of crazy ideas out there and i was helping to you know professionalize the early days of the industry but i certainly do have some awesome cool cannabis clients i'd love to name check out high bnb for those who are interested now that's the one i was just mentioning dan with the half a million dollar in pre-seed funding and that they were men and then they're, they're now in their funding and they just got me i mean we're talking it's pretty epic they not only just got an award in the uk where cannabis is certainly not legal they got an innovation innovative disruptor award in the short-term rental industry um in in the uk and they don't operate in the uk they operate in um you know legal markets places and they don't sell cannabis they literally are just like a like a airbnb only for cannabis consumers who want to be and they don't have to be able to, in most places most of them do not offer smoking inside but they're stigma free they have a smoking area outside they're not going to get kicked out for smoking you know they're smelling like cannabis they some of them offer a cannabis infused edible from a local legal licensed producer that they partner with anyway it's a really neat concept and we're excited that even as far away as japan again where it's not legal they're they're getting um startup interest as uh, a from the investor world and being called disruptors and stuff so yeah interesting eh so that's the kind of stuff i get to every day every day is different that's what i'm telling you that, that's, that's why it's fun it's it's great to have that portfolio like that's so different too because it just keeps you fresh and you never know what you can pull from one industry into another to help out. Um, oh, exactly. So that helps. Exactly. All right. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Uh, what's your social media? How can how can someone uh, learn more and and follow you and just yeah. soak in your knowledge? <laughs> LinkedIn is a great place to find me. And um, that's Tracy Lamori, or they can find me on Instagram at Tracy Lamori PR Media. Um, my website is lamorimedia.com. Um, uh, yeah, there's also on my website, there's a phone number in Toronto and in Beverly Hills uh, where you can reach me, and those both can be directed right to me. And yeah, so again, if, you, if people can say they heard me talking to you, and I'm more than happy to do a half hour free consult. If you're thinking, gee, this sounds good, but you know, I don't know, could I really get media? And we actually, I can give you all kinds of examples. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I literally awesome. have clients across industries. So get that out of your head about 
you have to be a leader. You have to have been a media before. No, you are an expert in whatever you do. And there are media opportunities literally for everybody. So I help find them, track them down, give them to you all ready to rock and just schedule you to go on them. So it's, awesome. It's fun. Well, thank <laughs> you for taking the time out of your schedule to chat with us and kind of fill us in on the PR world. It, it, it was amazing. And I, I always jump when I get a chance to interview someone that's in an industry that I know very little about because I love learning about it and I love to, uh, to, to hear how you got where you're going. And, and I sev- certainly got a ton of takeaway. I don't know. Like I said, about my back end, you know what I mean? Like most people, this stuff I talk about is a huge mystery to them. Whereas to me, the stuff that, you know, a lot of people know as they're the norm, like, Oh, no, this is what you do when you start a business. I was like, Oh, so nobody should be, you know, feel oh gee i didn't know that and honestly 80 to 90 percent of entrepreneurs don't know this stuff but when you think about it and there's not one corporation is in terms of big company large company in the world that doesn't have a pr slash communications department so right there entrepreneurs should think huh about that you really are you know missing something important in your brand building awesome well thank you tracy for hopping on here again you've been listening to the mental cast with my special guest tracy lamore public relations guru from Canada. Again, thank you for taking the time and it's been a great chat and hopefully I'll get to see more of, of your great work in the future. Yeah. And thank you so much. And thank you so much for doing the podcast so we can all learn from each other. And I've really, you know, I really enjoyed this as well. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks everybody. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks for the next episode of the mental cast. Have a great one. Awesome. Thank you so much. Chase. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you for listening to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy and hosted by Dan Mickle. You can always reach the show on all social media platforms at the username at RealDanMickle or via the show's website at danmickle.com. Don't forget to check out our title sponsor, Soul Performance Academy, at the username at 717soul and on their website, 717soul.com. We hope you can join us for our next episode.